Hi, I'm Ben Harold, ag journalist and farmer, and this is the View from the Farm podcast. Uh, we got to episode seven here, and quite a bit of excitement in the air. There's been some uh, cooler, crisper mornings uh, going out the house in the morning, and a lot of uh, excitement about harvest time creeping closer and starting to think about what that might look like and been doing quite a bit of crop scouting this week just kind of getting out in some fields trying to get a handle on what we're going to have and obviously then it's going to be fun here in the coming weeks to get uh, get harvest actually going and start start getting some real raw numbers in there and I think that's always always kind of fun just you know tracking the crop all summer long and then you know getting getting down to fall and actually the the rubber meets the road and we see what we've got out there but kind of a, a mixed bag in the scouting and, and some of the crop reports I've, I've been hearing but we'll we'll get into that here in a bit I just want to real quick for anyone that's new this is the view from the farm podcast and feel free to go back and listen to some of the older ones after you get done with this one and marvel at how much better I've got at podcasting over the course of a few weeks anyway we'll keep our fingers crossed that's actually the case but just to tell you a little bit about myself uh yeah, you know, what what we do on this podcast, too, I, I come from a farm background, grew up on a family farm. My family still farms up in northwest Missouri, and I've got a, a farm there of my own as well. And uh, write for Missouri Farmer Today about agriculture and different things like that. And obviously, Missouri is my, my state, so I kind of write from that perspective. And a lot of the things I talk about come from that perspective. But really, we're here to, to talk about all agriculture. And, you know, I always like to dip in, whether it's looking at drought, reports or crop conditions, that kind of thing, try and get the, the national perspective as well. And obviously a lot of my coverage area is the, the Midwestern part of the United States, you know, so whether you're uh, in Missouri or Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, take your pick, you know, about all those fertile Midwestern states, wherever you're at, you know, we're trying to cover, cover that, talk about what's important to you, kind of mirror the conversations from some of the farmers I hear and kind of what they're talking about and thinking about. So what's what's important to you is what's important to us. And, you know, I'm, you know, one thing I know about being an ag journalist is I learn every week what I don't know. So, I, you know, I kind of, as I talk, I'll talk about what I know, what I'm figuring out. And, you know, you might know a whole lot more than me, but maybe you can get a little entertainment out of the way I talk through some of these things. But anyway, we've got, uh, you know, pretty good, pretty good episode here. It's uh, September 8th. So interesting time of year on the farm, kind of transition time weather-wise and as far as activity-wise as we get kind of get ready to start diving into harvest here. But just to kind of give the rundown, I'm going to talk a little bit um, before I get into too much of the, ho- the the harvest numbers, was wanting to talk a little bit about the cattle and hogs side of things. And obviously, there's a podcast for, for livestock farms as well. And Got uh, got some stuff that uh, might be worth talking about there, just kind of updating where we're at, looking at, you know, impacts of the drought on that and some of the economic side of things. And then, of course, the uh, uh, export side, which is always a big part of the equation with the with those um, those type of operations. But anyway, going to talk about that a little and then, of course, hit on the drought monitor. We've been doing that every week, but it's pretty pretty major story for a lot of the heartland and a lot of the country. So we'll keep keep watching on that and then uh, want to kind of update on some of the crop conditions and kind of uh, a snapshot of where we're at you know again view from the farm just going to look from from my farm anyway for this perspective and kind of look at some of the Missouri numbers but I think they'll kind of be 
illustrative depending on where you're at about you know kind of how close we are and sort of our our status as we head into to drought uh, to harvest times and then I want to talk a little bit about some of the stories I've been working on for uh, Missouri Farmer Today and Iowa Farmer Today and Illinois Farmer Today about uh, some efforts about ag in the classroom and you know ag groups that are helping teachers you know teach kids about that with obviously a lot of a lot of kids not, you know, coming from the farm, not really having that connection anymore. And even a lot of the teachers don't, obviously. And so, you know, just providing some resources to kind of help uh, help kids understand where their food comes from and kind of what those operations look like. But a lot of people doing some interesting work. So we're going to want to talk about that. Always people telling our story. And so we'll touch on that. And then, um, I, yeah, I wanted to t uh, look ahead. I've been working on a story about pollinators, and it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of different factors on that. You know, you hear a lot about pollinator habitat and planting flowers and native grasses and that kind of thing. And there's there's a lot of elements to that. You know, there there might not be as defined an impact for, for row crops, but then there's maybe you know, some stuff we haven't quite nailed down about how that might be a positive. And then, of course, there's sort of the the biological side of things, how it might keep some pests in check. But a lot of kind of ongoing research there, but we'll kind of hit the lay of the land where, where we're at on that. Um, but yeah, first thing, let's dive into the, the cattle and hogs a little bit here. And I know it's been kind of interesting following these markets from day to day. Um, you know, hogs, I, I think just looking at the market yesterday, yesterday was Thursday, October or September 7th, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know, the, the way cattle kind of tried to bounce back a little bit, uh, you know, after, after some consolidation. But I, I think as far as kind of what's driving the cattle market right now, I think, you know, for a while, for, for really years now, we've been talking about, and it's a common thing, but how drought conditions, forage availability can, can affect the supply side of things. And obviously seen a lot of cattle come to market here the last couple of years for places where forage was short. And so, you know, kind of kind of has kept that supply pretty robust, but I think we've always known in the back of our head going down the line, you know, you, you cull too many cows, you, you send too many heifers to the feedlot, and that's going to affect your numbers down the line. And obviously, you know, I, th I, I hear from some people or some, some regions you read about that are looking to kind of build, build the numbers back up, but I, I do think... Um, it's, it's obviously a pretty expensive investment right now, keeping a heifer just with what, you know, what you can get for cattle at markets and then, you know, feed costs and hay is kind of a, a tight situation, a lot of places. So it's, it's definitely a lot of factors at play there other than just, you know, wanting to pump those numbers up and take advantage of some of the prices. But, uh, kind of looking, I, I want to look at the, the export side of things, um, just in terms of demand and, and domestic demand has remained pretty strong. I, th I think there's been some concerns, you know, the economy's kind of been sputtering here and there a little bit and the higher interest rates. And there's just been a, a few headwind factors and kind of the, the concern among uh, ag economists is, you know, are people going to keep paying, paying these prices for beef, you know, if, uh, if there's there's some other economic issues at play, but I, I think there's been pretty good demand there. I think we see you know the the public likes eating beef. You know I guess them and me have that in common. I I enjoy a burger, a steak, a brisket. Take your pick about as much as anyone. But yeah, it's it's also the other side of the picture. Of course, is around the world. You know our global customers and 
a lot of factors come into play with that. You know how how relatively strong the U.S. dollar is from from week to week, and you know what what other countries' economies and consumptions look like, or even their relationships with the United States can sh- can shift things a little bit. But just as far as this year, um, beef exports. Uh, just kind of looking at, at the month, the July numbers were released fairly recently, and that was a, a six-year low, looking at uh, 240 million pounds for U.S. beef exports. And that's it was uh, to get a sense of the context that 240 million pounds for July that was a little over 11 percent below June, and down about 22 percent from last year. So we had you know pretty robust beef exports. In recent years, but 2023 has been a bit a bit disappointing there, and I, I think there's a lot of factors at play. You know, global economy issues, and again, kind of the the strength in the U.S. dollar kind of can can make other places product relatively more affordable. But I, I think it's you know it's one of those things that. The, the, the rest of the year is going to be kind of crucial on that to see because I, I think it's when you start to get those final numbers for the year that you really see. But as of now, kind of trending below what, we, what we've seen there. And just, you know, while we're touching on um, exports, want to talk on the pork side of things before we talk on some of the, the drought numbers maybe affecting the supply a little bit. But as far as pork exports, July it was 504.7 million pounds. Um, so that, that, that was the kind of the, the final number there. And that was actually up 4.2% from last year, but it was down 13.6% from June. So again, you can kind of see those, those things during the course of the year, you know, whether the dollar surges or different things like that. And so there's, there's, you know, a lot going on. There. There's a lot of people out there, obviously trade groups working on, you know, keeping markets open and, and keeping those, the product flow into different different places, developing new ones, maintaining existing partnerships. But you can see there, there's a lot of variation from from month to month and year to year based on a lot of factors. But anyway, there there's you know still still some cause for hope and optimism there. But I think you know kind of it's it definitely shows the up and down nature of some of those numbers. And then yeah, to pop back on the supply side of things, uh, you know, kind of looking at the impact of the drought. I guess we want to touch on that. Um, and we're going to get into the drought monitor map and the, the crop impacts. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of been, been a, like I was saying, a point of conversation for a long time now, unfortunately. And uh, yesterday um, would have been September 7th. Yeah, that was the, the, the drought monitor, U.S. drought monitor map comes out every Thursday. And looking at that, um, it showed 44% of cattle inventory was within an area experiencing drought. And that's uh, up up from 40% the previous week and the highest it's been since March 21st. So we kind of, we'd made some progress there um, recently on the drought with, you know, areas got some rain in August and, you know, had a little bit cooler weather then. But then we kind of had, had some blast furnace kind of heat uh, coming through really a lot of the country, especially the Midwest, but across the whole country. And so you know, not a lot of rain either. And so you get, you get hot, dry conditions and that, that means expanding drought conditions. And so, you know, we've, we've kind of been dealing with that, but yeah, climbing from 40% of all cattle in drought conditions to 44% of our national inventory is in areas experiencing drought. And, you know, that is 
for as much progress as we've made kind of chipping away at drought territory. I mean, since since March, since the first day of spring, that's the, the most percent of our national cattle herd that's been in a, a drought area. So definitely still still having a pretty big impact there. And then just looking on the uh, the, the pork side, the, the hog side of things as well, it's kind of a, a similar story, not quite as extreme on the, the 21st of March thing, but um, the area of the U.S. hog inventory in an area experiencing drought is uh, 52%, which is up from 49% the previous week. So that's, you know, going up as well as the drought areas kind of expand. And that's the highest number since August 1st. So not quite as, uh, as long-term of a high as the, the cattle side of things seeing, but still, I mean, most most hogs in a drought area in over a month and, you know, climbing, it's, it's definitely something to be watching there as well. But Anyway, just to, to take a look at that drought map as well, and let's see if I can get that called up here. There's obviously a lot of lot of things to look at there. You can go to usdroughtmonitor.com and uh, you know see see what we're thinking on that. But yeah, as far as um, you know, just to kind of give an overview, it's definitely you know you look at the map there's a lot of red and yellow especially the the southern part of the country south central i mean really even even to the southeast because we we talked about last week and still the case you can start in the florida panhandle in an area in drought and go uh, west through the southern mississippi area through louisiana through the whole length of texas which i can attest is a pretty wide state if ever you're riding through that thing but even into new mexico and over into arizona and just be in a drought area the whole time so it's a pretty pretty big drought area there in the southern part of the country and that's a lot of a lot of rangy cattle country down there texas new mexico that kind of thing and obviously still some some ranching going on there amongst the cacti in arizona but also the the midwest and the upper midwest seeing a lot of drought still i mean my my state, Missouri, is pretty locked in, in drought quite a bit right now. And um, Kansas, Nebraska, eastern and central can, uh, Nebraska as well, especially. And then Iowa, Minnesota, um, parts of Illinois. Illinois has gotten better as the year's gone on, but then Wisconsin's had quite a bit of drought too. So just kind of looking at the map, um, the Midwest region, again, had that, that hot, dry weather and saw kind of incremental increases from 60 to 65 percent of that Midwest region in abnormally dry or drought conditions. And the official drought area is creeping up from 41 to 44 percent. So again, you're kind of seeing seeing the drought area expanding and, you know, that's uh, looking Looking at my state, you see examples of that as well. And in Missouri, it kind of follows the overall trend. It's, you know, it's up to almost 78% now the state is either abnormally dry or in drought. So it's still, you know, as we're heading into harvest, it's getting to be a pretty dry time. And that's why I'm thinking about as good a reminder as any when you're working on equipment, you know, in the, in the field, have plenty of water around, have, you know, precautions in place. A little precaution can save a lot of trouble sometimes because you get a, a dry, you know, dry cornfield or something on a windy day in the fall, there's, there, there could be a lot of issues there. So I wanted to be sure to mention that, but yeah, as far as officially in drought, it's, it's up to 53%, so a little over half the state, and then over a quarter of the state is in the severe drought status. So a lot of northeast Missouri, central Missouri, west central, even getting to be more and more parts of south and south central Missouri. So a lot of drought going on, still something we're having to watch. And 
uh, going to be interesting to see again as we kind of get the crop crop yields start coming out. I think, you know, my general default when there's a drought is to be kind of amazed at some of the yields we are able to, to raise. And it's a good reminder, certain areas, certain pockets catch rain at the right time. And it can, it can help you out, make up for a lot of stress, uh, getting something like that. But I, it, it is a reminder too, of the, the quality of farm management practices, crop technology, all that we've talked about. But I, I do think it's, you know, something that does make you think how high the yields could have been had we not had some of the conditions we did. But just to kind of look at the a snapshot of where we're at here again on September 8th in Missouri, um, you know, corn corn at the, the dent stage is up to 87% now, so getting to be almost all the corn in the state. And uh, corn corn reaching maturity is up to 32%. That's kind of in line with last year and kind of the five-year average. And we do have uh, this week, uh, looks like for the first time, some corn harvested. It's not much, but uh, according to this uh, USDA uh, crop progress and condition report from Missouri, we've got 2% of our corn harvested. So that's again last year at this point it was one percent you know five year average one percent this is basically you know this report i think it's data valid september 3rd came out september 5th with the labor day holiday adding a little delay in there but basically yeah it's it's you know what you'd expect that's right is we're at the very edge of set and sale most years on corn harvest here in missouri uh looks looks to be so far more or less on time you know talking to some of my Crop watchers from Missouri Farmer Day hear about kind of seems like crops being a little slow, drying down, but then, you know, the hot, dry weather, I'm sure probably goose things along pretty good. So we'll definitely be be watching that and see. Um, looking at soybeans, you know, it's it's still only 8% of the crop of uh, Missouri soybeans dropping leaves. So still still quite a ways to go there. I think, uh, you know, looking, looking at the cotton side of things, I was working on a cotton and rice story this week and you know, seems like at least in southeast Missouri where we have our cotton and rice, it's, you know, pretty good year for both of them. I think, you know, some of the cloudy, rainy days in August maybe took a little of the highest in yield potential away. But, you know, I, I still think it's especially with the, the ability to widespread irrigate down there. You know, I think they love the, the sunshine and, you know, had some issues with, uh, you know, herbicide activation when it was kind of dry, not getting the rain they need maybe to activate those herbicides early in the year. So there were, you know, a little bit of weed pressure, maybe a little more than normal, but, you know, overall pretty decent year for, for cotton and rice. And uh, just kind of looking at the numbers here, the cotton bowls opening were up to 18% of the crop here, and that's kind of jumped. It was 2% the week before. So it's, you know, again, getting kind of in line. I think it's you know, it was 16% at this time last year, 23% for the five-year average. So 18 is kind of right there in the mix. And then just wanted to touch on harvest. That's uh, rice harvest, I should say. That's so uh, we're up to 94% rice headed. We've got, uh, you know, again, according to this uh, early September report, we've got 5% of Missouri's rice crop harvested. And that's, you know, about when we get started, maybe just a little on the early side, we're, you know, usually about 2% harvested for the five-year uh, five year average. But basically, you know, right right about the time we get the harvest, rice harvest going, I 
heard from a, a, a rice expert, uh, Justin Klepeka, based at the Fisher Delta Research Center in Portageville, Missouri. And he was talking about, again, the, the quality year for rice, but he was, you know, saying he heard a, a few harvest reports in late August, but it was, you know, kind of thinking more like Labor Day weekend and after is when that, that ball would really get rolling. So be something to watch there as far as what we're going to get. Like I say, I've been, been looking at some crops and it's, you know, a mixed bag. I, I think I'm probably a, a bit of an optimist by nature. And so you can look at that and almost start to talk yourself into, you know, things looking maybe a little better than they do. But yeah, it's it's no no getting around the fact there's there were some, some weather challenges this year, some dry periods. And, you know, Missouri's corn crop in this uh, September 5th report is only 32% good or excellent. And that's kind of trended down a little bit here in recent weeks. And, you know, it was, yeah, just the week before it was 41% good or excellent, now 32%. So, you know, this time last year it was a 50% good or excellent corn crop in Missouri. So, again, you can kind of see it's it's the back half of, of August especially was very dry and hot. And that was kind of right as we'd been, you know, had a, a fairly hot, dry summer in most of Missouri. And, you know, it got a little relief in August, but then, you know, kind of right back to the the tough stuff and so you kind of see the impact there just to, to touch on the soybeans um yeah they're they're in the 45 percent good or excellent range and you know from the the week before it was 49 percent, so a little decline there and then you know this time a year ago they were 50 percent good or excellent so maybe a little below the the recent standard but you know i think it's again it's pretty obvious why with some of the conditions and I think it's you know looking at the, the number of pods on soybeans and you can kind of again tell the story of some some drought stress along the way so we'll we'll have to see when we get into it um, you know uh, as far as like I said the cotton and rice being pretty good uh, cotton conditions 67 percent good or excellent so pretty pretty much almost the bell cow there if it weren't for rice which is uh, let's do some math. That'd be 85% good or excellent for the rice crop in Missouri, which is pretty, pretty impressive. And and of that, 22% uh, is excellent, which, you know, looking at corn, soybeans, cotton, the excellent category is kind of like four or 5%. So rice is, is you know, obviously it's, it's all irrigated as opposed to, you know, our our soybeans and corn, there's a lot of the state where they're not irrigating it or not really able to, but, you know, rice, rice is definitely leading the way in terms of crop condition right now. Um, just to touch on the pastures while we're kind of looking at this report, and I know we were talking about cattle and hogs earlier, but just uh, in, in Missouri, it's about 23% good or excellent on the pasture. So again, kind of feeling the impact of some of the drought. I think we were at 35% good or excellent this time last year. So a lot, lot lower this year, about 34% of pastures are fair, 29% poor and 14% in that very poor category, which, you know, we, we have had seen that this year. It's kind of been one of those years where people are looking at, you know, chopping silage, looking at how they can secure, lock down some extra hay and things like that for the winter. Cause it's been a pretty, pretty challenging year to be growing forages, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, like I say, the rundown here as we kind of move into, you know, harvest time. And I know there's fall calving going on out there and there's just a lot, a lot of, a lot of exciting things happen. It's kind of, you know, summer is amazing on the farm and we all like summer and now we're kind of getting, 
get into that transition to fall and I think there's there's excitement that comes with that as well and going to be some busy days some long hours but I think it's it's definitely one of the most enjoyable fun times on the farm too you know bringing in that crop and and kind of having the changing of the seasons to some cooler weather um, just wanted to touch on a few stories I've been working on uh, the ag in the classroom efforts there's Different groups, uh, you know, through Farm Bureau in, in Illinois and Missouri are the, the two of the ones I talked to. And, you know, it's something that it's, it's a common thing in most states have different ag groups doing this. But um, just efforts to get good classroom instruction on agriculture. And, you know, there's people that maybe a kid's parents or especially grandparents had a farm time, grew up on a farm or had a relative that did, but just with each generation, you know, you get farther from that kind of cultural DNA, you get farther from, you know, a smaller percentage of people with each generation, I should say, that have experience working on a farm or being on a farm. And so, you know, it's just a reminder, it's ag education is always important, but you know, especially given those factors, these groups are working on that and again, providing lesson plans, materials for teachers, books and magazines, and just kind of, you know, any, anything teachers need. And I think it's something, you know, teachers have reached out to these groups. They have workshops where different teachers can talk about, you know, here's what I've done in my classroom, either lessons or activities or books to kind of help teach kids of all ages, you know, kind of that age appropriate agriculture instruction about, you know, it, it starts when you're young with things as simple as, you know, what's an acre? That's a term that, you know, farm people use a lot, but, you know, people that aren't into farming maybe don't use it very much. But yeah, you know, stuff like that, you'll help and teach kids that milk comes from a cow, not a bull, just the very basic stuff. But that is kind of the foundation on which, you know, you can build more knowledge of, of how modern farms work and seed and crop equipment, animal DNA, technology, all the kind of things we have going on. So that was a bit of a word salad there, but you get what I'm saying. It's a lot of, you know, helping kids understand where their food comes from. I think that's pretty important. And, you know, it's, it's food is such an elemental thing to survival. It's, it's what makes agriculture so important, so foundational. And so, you know, having that as a part of education, I think makes sense. And, you know, it, it was interesting talking with some of the different groups, like I say, in Missouri and in Illinois and just the, the work people do. And, and I think it is, it is really cool because it's a passion for these people. And it's, it's something important for the ag industry to continue to engage with students and consumers and kids go home and tell their parents what they learned in school. And it might help some parents learn too. So yeah, there's a lot, always a lot to know and learn about agriculture and having that part of education. is kind of, kind of encouraging to hear. And just looking ahead, got got several stories kind of coming in the pipeline, but just one I wanted to touch on before I go, um, talking about pollinators, you know, bees, wasps, butterflies, that kind of thing. I There's a, you know, it's I think something that's become way more of a conversation in recent years, and there's been some some money, and I, I think the, the, the most recent farm bill, I'm trying to think what year that came out, but maybe around 2018 or somewhere in there, whenever our last big farm bill came out, there was money for, for prairie strips to put in to kind of, you know, help out the habitat and then just the full on, not just a strip, but a bigger area of pollinator habitat. And so you, you drive around, you see some, some fields with kind of a, a collection of native grasses and plants and, and things like that. And that's usually, you know, what, what comes to mind, because that's a big effort right now. But as, as far as the importance of that, I mean, I think there's, you know, fruit vegetable crops it's it's essential having uh you know animal insect pollination 
and there's a lot of a lot of orchards you know across the country drive around and see them and it's getting ready to be apple orchard time and things like that i was picking uh picking apples with my nephew the other day and that little apple tree was just laden with them and my mom ended up making a pie later that night with the fresh apples and that was pretty pretty solid day but yeah that's uh Apple apple production, lots of different kinds of fruit. They're big in Missouri. They're big in a lot of states, and that's uh, that that insect pollination is a big part of that. Um, kind of looking at uh, you know, because there's the, the there's that benefit. There's the benefit of just the the natural, you know, having this just part of our wildlife, this biodiversity, you know, making sure they're still represented. But but then also kind of looking at the row crop side, it's interesting. Um, talking with some experts at uh, University of Missouri, Iowa State University, uh, corn, you know, corn kind of does its thing. It's basically a big wild grass out there. You know, it, it pollinates, it goes on, life moves on. Soybeans as well, they, they have what they need to pollinate themselves. They don't need an animal transferring pollen. But it's interesting, um, talking with, uh, with my source there at Iowa State, and I'll get his name here so I pronounce it right, but just looking at that, there's, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, again, we know soybeans can pollinate themselves, but then there's a lot of examples, growing examples and evidence, and the Matt O'Neill was the source there at Iowa State, um, but he was talking about there, there's a growing evidence examples that soybeans that have bees around them, in them, do better yield-wise than beans that don't have any bees in the area. And there, there's they don't really know why. It's one of those things, for all we know, there's still, still some mystery in nature and in agriculture. But, you know, th there's some theories about that. They're still working on getting enough, you know, formal scientific method studies to prove this. But just it's, you know, 5 to 18% appears to be the yield increase. And it could be you know, for the, the brief time where soybeans are flowering, maybe the bees still kind of get up in there. And even if the, the, the plants don't need it, maybe they move the pollen around more and that helps increase fertilization. There's just a lot of, a lot of different factors there that, that continue to be studied. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting and, you know, working on, you know, working with what, what kind of information we need to tell beekeepers, farmers, or farmers to put up a bee, you know, hive next to their soybean field or something like that we're still in the early stages but i think i think that's interesting something to follow um you know and we'll we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more next week as i kind of get some more information on that story but yeah it's, it's definitely you know could be some help from the bees to kind of improve that uh, that process and you know that could be what gives a little bit of a yield boost there but another thing as far as uh, suppressing pests um, there are insects that they aren't um, full-on pollinators by nature. They actually are predatory insects. They eat other insects. Um, there's some wasps and things like that uh, that, that eat aphids and different kind of crop pests. But they might do some going from plant to plant. They might get, you know, they still go to flowers and get, get some sustenance from them, even if their main thing is preying on other insects. So there could be some benefit from if you have, you know, wildflowers, some native grass, a strip around your field, something like that. 
it could be a spot where you get some of these wasps that could, you know, in turn suppress or take out the populations of some of the different crop pests. But anyway, that's another thing that's still kind of being studied and we'll, we'll have some more information on that in the future. But it is just kind of interesting. You know, you drive by, you see the fields, pollinator habitat, pollinators are good, okay, all that kind of thing. But just kind of seeing that we're, we're still learning about, you know, some positive impacts this could have for agriculture. And I, I think it's going to be something interesting to see, you know, what, what Iowa State comes up with and, you know, just, just the general broader, you know, benefits of prairie strips, uh, you know, obviously some some almost like a filtration effect at the edge of fields and kind of help with erosion and things like that. So yeah, definitely a lot to, to watch there for sure. And we'll be keeping up on that, but yeah, I, I think that should cover it for this week. Going to get out of here. Got another weekend coming up. Might need to get over there and make me a sandwich here now. Getting a little hungry, but I appreciate all of you for listening to the, the view from the farm podcast. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Got a lot of cool topics to talk about, especially as harvest is coming up. So thanks for letting us ride along with you. And uh, that's the end of this one.